everyone. This is Victoria Stapleton from Little Brown Books for Young Readers, and this is the Little Brown School and Library podcast. I am extremely excited to be with you today in the digital universe uh, because as a special surprise for me this week, a brand new LBY author came into the office. I feel like this was the universe aligning its pattern to for my enjoyment, uh, but today in the offices, we are so excited to be joined by Memle. Wolo. Memle, I hope I said that close to correct. Yes, really fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, it's important to me to say, as a lifelong person who keeps getting Veronica and I see you out there, it's important for me to say people's names correctly. And you did. Memle is Ghanaian-German author, uh, which I love. G is one of my favorite letters. And I took a lot of German in graduate school, so I always like to be like, oh, I miss German. But do I really? No, no, no. You are the author of a number of very fine books for adults as well as children, and you have not been published in the United States before, I don't think. Uh, this is your first experience with U.S. publishing, and your book is The Kaya Girl. That's right. I admit, when they came to me and said this, I'm like, I'm not sure, but... What I loved about this book is the interlocking and interweaving stories and the nesting stories within stories and sort of how you have unfolded the pattern of this book in a really beautiful way. The book is aimed at ages 8 to 12. It's extremely accessible, and I found that uh, the themes and characterizations you presented in this work were so uh, inviting, welcoming, but still challenging to younger minds and insistent on its particular authentic honest morality and psychology which I always find great in a middle grade novel no I am not climbing on the soapbox this episode but you know when I mean listeners so welcome Mamle. thank you thank you so much could you introduce to our listeners the plot of the Kaya girl very briefly and then what was important to you about telling this story the Kaya girl is about two 14 year old girls called Abna and Pfizer, who meet in a market, um, but they come from very different social backgrounds. They are the type of girls who would, in real life, um, never really be friends. It would be unlikely for them to to even meet um, mm -hmm. and uh, have a conversation. So, however, they, they're kind of kindred spirits. So when they meet, um, a friendship begins to form and becomes a very strong bond. They meet in a market because Pfizer is a migrant worker in that market. market. She's working as a porter. And Abna is spending her summer vacation with her aunt who owns a shop in the market. So that's how they meet. They really educate each other about their very different worlds. And the plot of the book kind of grows from that, from that exploration of each other's worlds. It was interesting to me that Abna was surprised by a lot of what Faisa told her. Yes, yes. I think middle class children in Ghana are quite sheltered. You know, they're very sheltered. And and I think for me, um, writing this book sprung from some of the work that I have done in my career as a social development um, researcher. And I, I I wanted to share some of the experiences I had had. And the kaleidoscopic uh, telling style to which you referred uh, to me is one way to, um, to introduce issues like labor migration to young audiences. Mm -hmm. Yes, because um, Pfizer has migrated. And then she tells a story about her cousin whom she's left behind, who, who's like a sister to her, mm -hmm. who is um, who was in danger of being forced into an early marriage. And through telling these different stories at the same time and 
uh, scoping through time and space to to then look at the story of Faiza's cousin Asana. Um, we 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 learn about these issues um, within the same story. Mm-hmm. So we have Abna, who is a middle class girl, who is the daughter of a doctor. She lives in a very wealthy area of Accra, and and then we have Faiza, who is bridging the two worlds um, between between the rural north of Ghana and the urban south. And um, as Faiza tells the story of Asana to Abna, we we really kind of get an education in in issues that are quite weighty, but which I think um, everybody should learn about, including children. And so I think uh, that is a way to to sort of make it um, accessible to children by having that um, multifaceted uh, aspect to the story. Uh, I liked that there were several areas of, I don't want to say dislocation really, because I don't think that's quite the word. I'm still searching for the word, but Abena's family is Christian. Right. And apostolic, it's a very particular form of Christianity. Faiza's family is Islamic, and mm-hmm. that plays a key part of her story. There is the urban versus the rural yes. divide. There is the class distinction. Abena's family is middle class, as you said. Yes. Faiza's family is not. Yes. Uh, it was interesting to me that much of the story is taking place in women's spaces, and men are sort of... I don't want to say off to the side because how men think and what men decide are issues of the story. Yes, they are. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm gonna try really hard not to spoil it because people really need to read this book. Um, yeah. But I, I one of the things I really appreciated is you pace the emotional reaction mm-hmm. to of the reader along with how Faiza tells her story. Mm-hmm. So it's not always Faiza does not do. As in the United States, we call it the info dump. Yes. yes. <laughs> Which is one chapter of like, here's the whole story. Yes. But Fiza's comfort in telling yes. about herself yes. is not one continuous stream. It's sort of, you are really depicting very carefully the emotional, the growing emotional intimacy and trust between these two. How did you start thinking about that? And did you get it right the first time or were you re- doing a lot of revision to really modulate? Because again, as I said, very different. Yes, both within the geographical map boundaries of Ghana, mm-hmm. but that is artificial. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, that's a good and multifaceted question. A, a slight point of clarification before I answer it is that um, Abena's family is not uh, specifically designated as apostolic Christian, okay. perhaps her aunt, not mm-hmm. to spoil the story anyway, but it's not specified what the, um, denomination her, mm-hmm. fam- her actual family is. But in Ghana, in southern Ghana, the, the majority of the population is, um, they, they identify as Christians mm-hmm. um, and, and they go to church. In quite a large part of the north of Ghana, uh, the population is Islamic and Faiza comes from a part of the north of Ghana that is Islamic. Um, okay, so there's that point of clarification. Uh, so to answer your question, um, yes, you introduced me as a German Ghanaian author, and um, I grew up in a world that was always multi-layered mm-hmm. and multi-textured, and I had to get used to um, different ways of living right off the bat and see them as normal, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ghanaian, Ghanaian people and German people are really quite different. I mean, if you're looking for sort of the most opposite um, <laughs> cultural divides, you, you, 
that is it. You know, you could order that um, and, and you'd have your cultural extreme. So we grew up, you know, straddling that divide. And I think that made me look at the world in a, in a multi-textured way. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so with the friendship between the two, I thought of my own childhood friendships. And then I also thought about my children's friendships. Um, and, um, and so that kind of molded the way in which I told the story and told the story through the girls and then told that secondary story about Asana through Faiza. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a story of survival strategies in, in many ways. And I wanted children to think about things like that. I mean, they, they sound very sort of socially scientific, but there are things that people have to deal with in everyday life and very much in areas of Ghana where perhaps, um, through social change, um, and, and, um, migration and and poverty and so on, many children are migrating themselves. These are household survival strategies. Mm -hmm. Um, Children are part of the family workforce, which doesn't always mean that they are engaged in forms of child labor that would be designated as hazardous or dangerous, but... And now we will stop. Are we back on? Okay, so audience, you may have heard the gentle beeping tones of a fire drill interrupting us, but we're going to press on in... And uh, Mamle is going to continue on with her answer. One of the things that we're trying to get at is looking at building these characters and uh, looking at that in, through the initial writing and through the, and through the uh, revision process, unlayering that intimacy. And you started by talking about the sort of multivalent personalities mm-hmm. uh, and culture, et cetera, that you had in mm-hmm. Ghana and, and building that in. Yes, and how to tell stories um, about serious things like survival strategies through children's voices mm-hmm. and to a child audience uh, as um, Abena does, well, as Pfizer does to Abena. Um, and um, yeah, I think making sure that it's, it, it works within the story um, and that children are actually uh, engaging in an exchange of information that's quite socially scientific. Um, I had to think about setting and things like that. Where would they be when they were exchanging this information? Mm -hmm. What would it flow from? It would have to flow from something that is natural in a a child's world. Um, And so that's what I mean by I thought about my own childhood friendships and then I thought about my children's friendships and how they interacted with their friends, what spaces did they meet in and things like that. Um, and I think I'd say that quite a lot of it um, uh, already happened in the first drafting, but I also worked with excellent editors mm-hmm. um, at, at my agency and also um, here with Little Brown. Uh, I worked with Susan Rich, who is wonderful, and was able to um, steer the process even further or help me steer the process even further to make sure that um, everything really was contextualized in, um, in, in, a, in a living childhood context. These conversations were believable. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they were broken down the way children would talk about them. So, for example, at some point, Faiza asks Abna about um, how many people her mother cooks for because she's she's responding to a question that um, Abna has asked her, and and Abna says, um, "Yeah, well, my mother never has to cook for. Actually, she doesn't cook at all. My mother mm-hmm. doesn't cook at all." But that wasn't the point. So I said four or five people. Um, and, and through the, we're, we're getting a sense of the contrasts in their background. Um, you know, Abana describes the room that she sleeps in in her aunt's house as smaller than her mother's walk-in closet. This is all in the same city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but Abna lives in a house in, in a wealthy part of Accra in a large mansion. Um, and her mother clearly has a, a beautiful room and, and a walk-in closet and so forth. And the room that she gets at her aunt's house, who um, her aunt is not as wealthy as her parents, 
um, is smaller than her mother's walking closet. So these are some of the contrasts that describing them in language like that, because any child can say, oh, this room is smaller than my mother's walking closet. But then from that, you deduce a wealth of social information, don't yes. you? Yeah. So these are some of the ways in which um, I, I sort of um, presented these issues through a children's lens. I, I really love that you mentioned that example, because as Abena goes with Faisa to the salon and realizes that 20 girls are spending the night in her auntie's salon yes. and that her auntie charges rent for that. It's not her aunt. It's a different person. It's a, well, still, it's a hairdresser. For, yes. Yeah. It's the salon her auntie has her hair done in. Uh, yes. yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was getting confused by all the aunties. Yes. There's a lot, because there's courtesy. There, yes, it, yes. They're not, not all simply, biological aunties. Yes, yeah. that is a thing that, yeah. you know, in the United States title. we say aunt. Yes. Uh, there's a, a, a term in the African-American community, play cousin. So I was okay. trying to like, okay, uh, which one is an auntie? Which one is the courtesy title auntie? Yes. So I was getting a little yeah, confused. Absolutely. There. Courtesy title is a good way to put it. Yes. Children in Ghana at, in all social classes are not expected to address adults with their first names. Oh, never. Yeah. No. So um, it's either going to be a missus or something like that. Or if, if you want less formality, then you'd say an auntie, she's mm-hmm. auntie so-and-so. Yes. But to get back to that scene, mm-hmm. I mean, again, but even referring to the salon owner and the salon owner charging mm-hmm. uh, the rent for the girls, mm-hmm. Faisa has, is v- remarkably matter-of-fact because how you've depicted her lived experience is extremely organic to mm-hmm. her. Uh, Avena's discomfort is also very matter of fact. Mm-hmm. So her complaining that her room is not as big as her mother's walk-in closet is gi- she's given a bit of a corrective there. But on the other side, there's another corrective, and mm-hmm. we are going to talk about Brittany and Tiffany mm-hmm. <laughs> and the artfully frayed jeans, mm-hmm. uh, which is a person who grew <laughs> up with. Why would you pay three hundred dollars for artfully frayed jeans? Why yes. can't you fray them yourself? <laughs> I do have a thing about false poverty or depict. Right. You know, <laughs> It's called fashion. <laughs> it's not fashionable. It's not. It's not. Yeah. Uh, but there is that additional uh, element that you've brought in of Brittany and Tiffany. Mm-hmm. They are from this family in this setting, mm-hmm. but they live not in Africa, mm-hmm. and they are named after pop stars, mm-hmm. and there is a whole different dynamic that Abena needs to, mm-hmm. I don't want to say confront, but there's, there's a lot into another mm-hmm. whole setting for her to think about because mm-hmm. they're also in some ways fantastically wealthy mm-hmm. yes yeah so mm-hmm. thinking about bringing that element in how did you decide to do that yeah i think abna is a bridge really um both abna and Pfizer are bridges um and this is why their friendship creates such a a, a sort of um universe of learning for both of them because abna is plugging into worlds that extend towards Brittany, Tiffany, and beyond. And mm-hmm. while Pfizer is plugging into worlds that um, even in, in space are, are located far up north. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then her cousin, who is about to be forced into uh, a marriage too young. Um, and, and then so at the extremes of these ends, we have huge contrast. Um, and, and I want children who read this book to start thinking about contrast like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps in their own comfort zones, they've just never considered these things before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, with Brittany and Tiffany, um, they're very much what Abna could be. I mean, um, and Abna kind of needs to slot into their world while she's with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she has, through being in the market and becoming friends with a girl like Pfizer, she has begun to grow into a world that 
she has never known before. Mm -hmm. And so when she goes back, when her cousins come to visit and she is going to do the sort of, okay, slot into their world thing for a while, um, that is when she realizes that her experience of friendship with Faiza has made it uh, difficult. She can no longer easily slot in. Mm -hmm. And she feels a little as if she's pretending when she tries to slot in because she's now beginning to see things with new eyes. She's beginning to see that type of wealth as something that is not to be taken for granted. It's probably something that you should question yourself about as you um, enjoy it, you know. Um, uh, even something as simple as as the water that she showers with, which she had never thought about before. Mm -hmm. But when she learns that Pfizer has to walk um, to a stream to and then carry water in a container on her head, uh, she suddenly starts to think about um, how much water can you use if you have to bring it home that way. Mm -hmm. um, and then when she when she showers, when she goes back home for the weekend and she has her own sort of personal cloudburst, she starts thinking, what would it be like if I had to fetch all this water myself? So she's never thought about things like that before. Yeah. And to me, those are ways to enhance um, social knowledge and awareness by just hands-on daily things that children are engaging with. Because really, life is, <laughs> you know, life is theory and theory is life. That, that's, that's the way you experience thing, things. Often you are experiencing them without even realizing Yeah. Um, and so when you when the contrast comes into your life and you engage with it, then you start to see a bigger picture. And, and that's what's going on there. So with Brit and Tiff, I think they represent a world that Abna kind of comes from, could easily slot mm -hmm. back into. And we have a moment in the book where her cousins, Brittany and Tiffany, say, oh, come and stay with us for the rest of the holidays, which is something she would normally have done mm -hmm. because her mother is not around. You know, her mother's having a baby and she's gone to England to have a baby. So her mother's not home. this vacation. Um, and if she hadn't met Pfizer in the market, she'd just have packed her bags and gone and they would have spent the holidays, you know, eating burgers and, you know, going to restaurants, movies and, and doing the things that Brit and Tiff do, uh, at fashionable shopping at the mall, etc. But her whole sort of access has shifted now. Um, and she doesn't feel like she fits anymore into that world. Um, and so she's kind of not really able to slot herself in it anymore. And the moment comes where they say, okay, come with us. And that's a very pivotal moment for Abna in the story because um, that's the moment that she realizes, I don't really belong to that world anymore. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and I think it's a moment of choice in the book. Yeah. So, yeah, it's about those different worlds. I <laughs> so love that answer. No, I'm still not getting on the soapbox. You know that I'm not going to do this to this poor new guest in our offices, but you know what I was about to say. Listeners, you know it. I adore that answer because a lot of times it is... In, this, in a lot of uh, children's literature, negotiating contexts and figuring out when context is a matter of choice. And one of the things I really like about this book is over and over again, context matters. And by context, I mean, where do you sleep? What is yes. on your body? What did you eat today? Yes. How did you, uh, where did you wake up? Where will you go to sleep? What did you eat during the day? How did you get money to do that? Do you enjoy leisure? What is your scope of choice? So, you know, again, what context can you choose? What context are you subject to? Especially, I'm thinking about poor Asana, and I. Mm -hmm. really, oh. <laughs> um, but over and over again, in the various relationships, it's it's the physical context that you're depicting, but also the emotional context, because mm -hmm. we are looking in a lot of ways at these. girls moving into young women identifying and defining themselves against the context of these older women and mm -hmm. how they comport themselves and behave and that intergenerational sort of thing 
um, we've mentioned just very briefly that you, in Ghana, no child would ever address an adult by their first <laughs> name. But there, so there's a lot of hierarchy and things in, in very much there. So. Um, can you tell us how you were creating the emotional space in those relationships, um, mm-hmm. um, young people versus older, older people? people. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Quickly, there was something I had meant to address in your last question, which which I I, I forgot. And it was about how they um, they seem to be okay about Pfizer sleeping on the floor with 20 other girls renting sleeping yeah. space from. Um, and how Abna also doesn't seem to be all that... Well, she is shocked by it. She is shocked by yeah. it. She, it she, the, the way you've depicted her disquiet with yes. that, her realization, yes. and then disquiet is very subtle but very yes. powerful. Yes. And I think what's happening there is that there are, there are so many accommodations to deprivation that people are living with on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And we become hardened to it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, a girl like Pfizer sleeping un- under such circumstances would be only one of many in the market doing that. Mm-hmm. And there are several markets where these things be- uh, happen. So she wouldn't, um, she wouldn't think of it as something extraordinary. Uh, she's embarrassed to, to show Abna that, you know, this is where she sleeps. But she's only one of many, mm-hmm. you know. Um, in, in Ghana, there's a, a hotel, uh, a, one of the most expensive hotels, five-star hotels um, in, in Accra, very close to the center of town, very close to Makola, where sometimes you will find Kaya, your girl, sleeping on the pavement mm-hmm. outside the hotel, right outside the hotel. Mm-hmm. And they choose to sleep there because there are security guards and so on in, in the hotel. So here you have this absolute contrast, five-star hotel and these girls just sleeping outside on the pavement. If you drive by at night, sometimes you see this sight. And it is part of life, you know. Yeah. So, yes, it's, it's, um, it's something that people get used to that they probably shouldn't get used to, uh, but it is part of the world around them. So that's what's going on with that sort of, oh, yes, this is what we, this is where we sleep. Um, so then to get back to your other, your other question, um, I like that you spotted that multi-generational thing. They are all sort of um, orbiting within planets of different ages. Basically, there's, mm-hmm. there's uh, Auntie Lydia, the aunt with whom Abna is spending her holiday, uh, and then there is um, Abna and Pfizer themselves, the, the younger generation um, and their relationships show these hierarchies in Ghanaian society um, and it is very hierarchical culturally speaking it's very hierarchical uh, even in secondary schools children one year older have a lot we lot of power over over children one year younger mm-hmm. so how much more a generation older you are really never meant to talk back to somebody who's older than you mm-hmm. um, and you you acknowledge the seniority of the person by using a title for their name. And if it's inappropriate to address them as Mrs. or Doctor or whatever, then you, you say auntie or uncle. Um, but that um, distinction between youth and experience um, is, is, is very demarcated and it's, it's prized and people do not uh, expect it to be disrespected. Mm-hmm. So hierarchy is extremely important. So that even when Abna's aunt is displaying characteristics that Abna finds disturbing, um, where she can see that she's discriminating against Pfizer because she's from the north and because she's a, she's poor, um, she can't overtly um, say something to her aunt about it because in the culture that's not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when her aunt kind of guilts her, makes her feel bad for being friends with Pfizer. She kind of has to hold it in because in in our culture, you know, you have to be really careful, especially as a child, you know, uh, especially pre-puberty. I mean, to, to be seen to be challenging an adult 
is not acceptable even today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and and in schools, it's really only in international schools where there's quite a um, a presence of foreign students um, and Western students uh, that it is okay for children to interrogate teachers the way they do here, for example. Mm-hmm. But in a traditional Ghanaian school, you cannot. Which yeah. makes the <laughs> challenge of depicting a coming-of-age story, which uh, in the United States really means taking one's own power, making one's own decisions, mm-hmm. in some ways becoming oppositional to one's elders, yes. if one so chooses, particularly pungent. So I, yes. I, I will be intrigued to see how U.S. readers respond to this very lovely, uh, multifaceted book that is just, it's so filled with these really interesting emotional spaces and emotional moments, uh, almost like a beautiful pond. Like it's, no, it's got a beautiful ecosystem thank you. of relationships. Uh, Mom, like thank it. you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. Thank you. And I've enjoyed hearing you talk about it. I, I love the ecological uh, pond. I'll five, be taking that with me. Five pans of water. I remember that. If I had to carry five head pans of water to the shower, <laughs> would I still be taking all this shower? <laughs> Gentle listeners throughout the digital universe, the Kaya Girl from Mamle Wolo will be on your shelf as soon as you make a right life choice and get it there, and you will not be disappointed. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time.